You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. My Father, you are the Lord God Almighty. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the giver of the revelation of yourself, which is your word. And we come to that now at this time, and we ask that you would speak to your people today through your word, that you would be glorified in our time through this teaching, through our time spent in your word, that it would edify us and equip us for every good work, and that you would be glorified through us and our obedience rendered to it and to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been looking at the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to the Damascus, and that single event in the history of the world has become so infamous that it, we actually have proverbs that come out of that, um, things that are sort of proverbial in our culture, in our language. We speak of people who have had a Damascus Road experience. You ever heard that used? Or we speak of people who have seen the light. And what do we mean by that? We mean that they were heading down one course of action, engaged in one path of life, and then suddenly they had some experience, some epiphany of sorts, some revelation, some change of heart that radically changed their course and their conduct and their behavior. And so we say they had a Damascus moment or a Damascus road experience or that person saw the light, meaning he was going one way and something changed his course and stopped him and he turned around and he went the other way. So infamous and so significant is that event in, the human, in human history, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, that Luke records it three different times in the book of Acts. And we've been looking at that. We looked at it when we came across it in Acts chapter 9, where Luke just tells the story. Then we looked at it again in Acts chapter 22, where the Apostle Paul, his first time, gives his testimony to the Jews in the temple courtyard at the, at the base of the steps of Fortress Antonia, and he's defending himself and his apostleship and his ministry and his message. And now we're looking at the third time that Luke gives us the story, and that's in the book of Acts chapter 26. And each time Luke tells us the story, we get some fresh details. And there have been some fresh details in Acts chapter 26 that we haven't seen in the previous two tellings of this story, and Luke includes those for us for our benefit. We're going to be looking at a large chunk of that fresh detail this morning. In the book of Acts 26, the Apostle Paul is standing before Agrippa. He's the king. He's an expert in all things Jewish. Paul, as a theologian, as an expert in his field, is communicating his testimony to somebody who is also an expert in Jewish culture, the Jewish prophets, the Jewish scriptures. Agrippa is very articulate. Agrippa is very knowledgeable. Agrippa was a practicing Jew. He could talk to Paul. If the kingdom of Rome, if the empire of Rome had a theologian that could handle Jewish concepts and Jewish scriptures, it was Agrippa. So the Apostle Paul is on familiar turf with Agrippa, and he's sharing with Agrippa his testimony, and that's why Paul includes things here that he doesn't include and that Luke doesn't include elsewhere. Because Paul, quite frankly, feels at home with Agrippa enough to give him some pretty deep, pretty theological stuff as it's connected with his conversion. Now, in Acts 9 and Acts 22 and Acts 26, there's something that stands out. And do you know what it is that gets the most attention from Luke and from Paul in those three chapters in the conversion experience? you know what detail it is? It's not what you might think it is. 
With a conversion like Paul's, you would think that most of the detail would be spent on what Paul saw, other than just the light. He saw the risen Jesus. You'd think that we would get some attention to those details. Or the voice, or more of what was said, or more of what transpired, or who was traveling with Paul. All of these things we are curious about. But in these three tellings of Paul's conversion, the details that are emphasized is really not so much what happened that converted him, but the bulk of the attention is given to what happened immediately after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus when he was commissioned to ministry. We see it in Acts chapter 9. When you get to Acts chapter 9, we find out that he saw the bright light and he fell down to the ground and he heard the voice of Jesus and he responded. And Jesus said, it's me, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Get up and go into Damascus. And then the bulk of the rest of that account is given to what the Lord said to Ananias that Ananias gave to Saul of Tarsus to commission him to service. That's what the bulk of the details is about. And the same thing in Acts chapter 22. We get the commissioning of of the Lord to Paul through Ananias, and then again, Paul going into the temple in Jerusalem and being there and seeing in a vision Jesus saying, get out of here, they're not going to listen to you. I'm sending you away to the Gentiles. The bulk of the attention is given not to the conversion, as fascinating as that is, but to his commission to service. And listen, I can think of no place in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about his conversion to Christ that is not in the context of him describing his missionary activity, his service to the Lord, or his commission to be an apostle. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus who considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. He talks about his conversion But he talks about it in the context of describing his service to the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, we read it already. He talks about his conversion, but it is in the context of defending his apostleship and his ministry and his message and his service and the gospel that he preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is in the context of describing his service when the apostle Paul says, Have I not also seen the Lord? And least of, last of all, he appeared to me, and yet I worked harder than the rest of them, yet it was the grace of God working in me to make me an apostle and to make me a preacher of his gospel. Every time Paul talks about his conversion, you know what it is? It's the conversion that is minimized, and it is his service which is rendered to the Lord, which he spends the details on, which he talks about the most. It was the fact that Christ had not just saved him, but commissioned him to service. So in Paul's mind, he didn't view his conversion as one event, and his calling to service as another event. It was his conversion and calling to service, which are one event in Paul's mind. And the emphasis is always given to his commissioning to service, his command to preach, his order to be an apostle. That is what is singled out. That is what is significant. We find that in Acts chapter 26. I want you to follow along as we read, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read through the end of verse 18. The apostle Paul in Speaking to Agrippa says, While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when he had fallen, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, 
and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. You notice the emphasis on the commission and the calling to service, beginning at verse 16. It actually goes all the way through the end of verse 23. Paul describes his calling to mission and his calling to ministry and his service that he renders to the Lord and how Jesus described all of that. Now, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, the other two times that Paul's conversion is described in the book of Acts, then you can readily see that verses 16 through 18 is all new material. We looked at some of the new details last week. This is the first time, this is the only time that we read of this extended discussion that Paul had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It wasn't just that Jesus appeared to him and said, okay, you're saved now. I want you to get up and go into Damascus and there you'll be baptized and then you can go on and start serving me. It's not just that Paul was told to get up and go into Damascus. It is that while his face was in the dust, while he was humbled and lying in the dirt before the Lord, with the bright light all around him, Jesus gives him a very detailed description of what he wants him to do. He says, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a minister, to appoint you a witness to the things which you have seen and which you will see. I'm going to rescue you from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And here is the message that I'm giving you to preach. No other place do we get these words from the Lord Jesus but right here in Acts chapter 26. And you know why we get it here and not other places? Because Agrippa is there. And Agrippa understands everything that Paul is saying. We're going to look at verses 16 through verse 17 today. We're not going to get to the end of verse 18, and I'll tell you why. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul jumps off into some really deep theological waters. Everything up to that, verse 18 is just loaded with stuff. I mean, look at verse 18. Paul says, to open their eyes, speaking of the Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So you get darkness and light and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance and sanctification and what it means to have faith. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. He just jumps off the end of the dock right into some deep waters. We're going to take a whole Sunday just to plumb verse 18 because it is loaded there and Agrippa can understand everything Paul is saying. You might not at this point, but you will by the end of next Sunday. So today we're going to look at verses 16 and 17, and I want you to see that the Lord Jesus called Paul to two things. First in verse 16, service, and then in verse 17, suffering. First to serve, and then to suffer. Look at verse 16, back up to verse 16. Jesus said to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. First thing he says to Paul, get up. You're the one that put me in the dirt to begin with, right? Get up and stand on your feet. He's laying in the dirt. His life has been ruined. The Apostle Paul has just suddenly found out that everything he lived for, everything he believed was a lie. Everything he believed was wrong. He has been persecuting not just apostate Jews, but actually Jesus Christ Himself and saints of the living God. And the one whom he thought he had been serving, the one whom he thought he had been had been blessing, and the one he had thought he had rendered his whole life to, he was actually persecuting and fighting against. And so his life has been completely turned upside down. He has nothing. It's all been taken away from him. And he's standing with his face in the dust. And, and if you were the Apostle Paul, would you want to get up at that moment? You wouldn't want to get up at that moment. But like the Lord said to Ezekiel and to Daniel when they saw visions of the Lord, get up. Do you remember how undone Isaiah was when he saw the glory of God? Remember how undone he was? Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I am undone. 
He just came unglued at the seams, literally. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, he had nothing. And the Lord had to say to Isaiah, get up. The Lord had to say to Ezekiel, get up. When Daniel saw the angel and saw the vision, it was too much for him. And laying down on the ground, it was an angel had to touch him and say, Daniel, stand up and get on your feet. There's more for you to do. He was undone by the glory of God. And so was Paul. Absolutely overwhelmed in the dust. And the first thing Jesus says is, get up and stand on your feet. He doesn't leave him lying in the dust. Having crushed the Apostle Paul, the Lord then gives him the grace and the command, now it's time to get up on your feet. Right? This is the beginning of something new. I've crushed you. I've converted you. I've turned your heart to me. Now get up because here's what I want you to do. Gives him the command. Stand on your feet. And he says, for this reason I have appeared to you. To appoint you a minister and a witness of the things you've seen and the things you're going to see. Now there's something curious here. Maybe it just strikes me as odd. Maybe it doesn't strike you as all that odd. But what strikes me as odd is that the Lord does not give the Apostle Paul a choice in this. You notice that? That is curious to me. For this reason I have appeared to you, because you have been appointed. It's passive voice. Paul was the object of the appointment. It was the Lord who made the appointment. And the Lord said, I have appointed you as a minister and a witness. The Lord did not come to the Apostle Paul and say, hey, I've noticed that you have a lot of potential. I noticed that you have a lot that you can offer my kingdom. And I would like you to join my team. Would you give us some thought? Pray about it. And get back to me. Pray about it. Some of you get that on the way home. Get back to me on the subject. He doesn't do that. He doesn't ask the Apostle Paul to join his team. He doesn't make it an option for the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say, now I've converted you. Now if you would like, I will make you an Apostle. None of that. He just says, I've appointed you. A witness and an Apostle. Paul really didn't have a choice in that matter, did he? Did he? No, he didn't. You know why? Because Jesus was holding the goad. Do you remember that from last week? And Jesus had already said to Paul, we're going to do this. We're either going to do it your way or we're going to do it my way. But trust me, you're going to do it. And you'll either come out of this scathed and bloody and beaten and submissive, or you're going to come out of it submissive. You make the choice. But for this reason, I've appeared to you to appoint you, to make you a minister and a witness. He was appointed. The word appoint there is actually a military term. And it was used to describe somebody who had authority in the military selecting an individual. And the word literally means to take for oneself into one's hand. You appoint something. You take something out of something else. You put it in your own hand for your own use. And the military people used it. The commanders and the generals used it. Because when a commander or a general gave an order and they appointed Joe to go do such and such, it was irrevocable. Wasn't up for debate. It was a military. You are ordered to do this. This is your appointment. You go do it. You don't ask questions. You do what you're told to do. That's the term that Jesus uses with Paul. I have appointed you. I have taken you into my hand for my use. And this is what the reason for it. I am appointing you to as a minister and a witness. Do you know what the Apostle Paul fought with all the way through his life? And you read about it in Galatians. You read about it in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You read about it throughout his epistles. He constantly had people who were hounding him saying, he's not a real apostle. He's not a real apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. He's self-appointed. He's a self-appointed apostle. He has no real apostolic credentials. He has no real apostolic authority. And you shouldn't listen to Paul. Instead, you should listen to the new guy in town who's the new teacher, the new pastor. He comes from Jerusalem with this authority. Whenever people wanted to discredit the Apostle Paul, they always attacked his apostleship and said he's not really an apostle. Doesn't have the credentials, doesn't have the authority, shouldn't listen to him, he's a self-appointed teacher. 
So when Paul wrote his epistles, he was always defending his apostleship. That's what he was doing in Galatians. Because people had told the people in Galatia the same thing. He's not really an apostle. Paul says, no, I've seen the Lord, and I got my apostleship from Christ. Did Paul have a choice? Was it was Paul's apostleship his own will? Was Paul's apostleship his own doing? Was it his own appointment? Was that something that Paul said, you know what, since I'm converted, I would like to be an apostle. I think I'll just give myself the gift of miracles and the gift of prophecy and the gift of preaching and teaching. I'm going to give myself these gifts. I would like to be an apostle. Was it something he campaigned for? Was it something the churches voted on? Was it something that the other apostles were asked to recognize? It was none of those things. It wasn't by Paul's will. It wasn't by Paul's doing. It wasn't by Paul's design that he was an apostle. He always said in his epistles, I am an apostle by the will of God, not by the will of Paul. It was not his desire. It was not his intention. His desire and his intention were to kill Christians. Paul says in Romans 1, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Galatians 1.1, and this couldn't be any clearer, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul says, my apostleship is not of men. It's not through the agency of man. It wasn't his will. It wasn't his choice. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 1 Timothy 1.1, apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God. And 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Do you get the picture? Was it his doing? Was it his design? How did he get his ministry? Was it something he campaigned for? Was it something he wanted? Was it something he pursued? It wasn't that at all. You want to understand why the Apostle Paul was such a bulldog? You want to understand why it was that his work and his achievement and his ministry and his mission and his personality puts us to shame? It was because of this. The Apostle Paul did not view his ministry as something that he could do or not do. He did not view his service to the Lord as something he could render or not render depending on the circumstances. The Apostle Paul viewed his apostleship his ministry, his mission, his position, his life, his commissioning and his service as something that Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, look, you are going to do this. This is the commandment of God to you, Paul, and you must fulfill it. And so the Apostle Paul could say, I don't consider my own life as dear to myself in order that I may finish my race and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. It was because Christ had appeared to him and said, this is what I want you to do. This is the command. You don't have an option in this. I'm making you an apostle. I have appointed you to this. He was appointed to be a minister. The word there that's translated minister is actually a word that meant under rower. It was used of the lowest of servants. It was used of somebody who would attend to the king, attend to royalty, or attend to uh, people in royal positions, sometimes many people in royal positions. It was used of of under, an under rower was somebody who was down in the lowest part of the boat who rowed underneath everybody else. And when they rowed the boat, they were down where all of the fecal matter and the urine that came from the upper decks would come down into the bottom of the boat from the other slaves, which were over top of them. They were the most despicable, the most despised, the most rejected, the lowliest of servants. And Jesus said, Paul, I'm appointing you to be an under rower. How would you like to be told that? Well, thanks, Lord. Not sure that I wanted that appointment. You think that that was something that Paul pursued? 
My goal in life is to be the guy in the bottom of the boat underneath everybody else's rain-down stuff so I can sit down there and work harder than everybody else in the lowliest and worst of conditions. And yet that is exactly what Jesus said He was going to make Paul. That type of a servant. It's almost as if Jesus was saying to Paul, look, up until this point in time, you have had people that have done your bidding. You've been respected. You've sat on the council. You've cast votes. You've sat under Gamaliel. You're educated. You're well-liked. You're well-respected. You've got everything in the world. You've got the world by the tail. But from this point forward, Paul, you're nothing. You are nothing. And I want you to serve as if you are nothing. That is why Paul would refer to himself as the least, less than the least of all the saints. Because when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, Paul, I have appointed you to be an under rower. You're going to be a servant of mine and you're going to be the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. Then Jesus said those who are last in the kingdom will be first and first will be last. Who do we respect most out of all the New Testament characters apart from Jesus? Who gets most of our admiration? Is it not Paul? You know why? Because he was the lowest. He was the minister. He was the servant. Everybody wants to be known as a servant, but nobody wants to be treated as a servant. Paul was one of those people who didn't mind being treated as a servant because Jesus said, from this point forward, you have nothing and you're the bottom of the boat. So don't get upset when people treat you like you are at the bottom of the boat because if you're going to serve me, you've got to be at the bottom. You're an under rower. Not only an under rower, but a witness. Martus is the word from which we get our English word martyr. A martyr was a legal term. It was used with somebody who would give testimony in court, somebody who would witness to something in court or in another place. They would stand up and they would give testimony. They were called martus or martyrs. In the first 300 years of the Christian faith, that word martyr took on a whole new significance and a whole new meaning because so many Christians died for their faith in the first 300 years of church history because so many of them died for their faith. They were called martus. They were called martyrs. But martyr no longer meant just somebody who gave testimony in court. But the term martyr came to signify somebody who gave testimony and sealed that testimony with their own blood. Somebody who shed their own blood as a seal to the testimony that they gave. So the term martyr came to be used of somebody who would give testimony to Jesus Christ as a witness of what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had known, and then seal that testimony with their own blood. Paul, you're going to be an under-rower and you're going to be a martyr. You're going to be a martus, a witness to me. And the ironic thing is that long before the term was used to describe somebody who sealed their testimony with their blood, the Apostle Paul actually did seal his testimony with his own blood. An under-rower and a martus, a martyr. This, For this reason, I have appointed you to be a witness of what you have seen. Now, what had Paul just seen? What did Paul just see? The risen Lord, right? The resurrection. You remember when the apostles wanted to replace Judas? What did they do? They said, we've got so many candidates, but he has to have been with us for the ministry of the Lord Jesus. That was one of the requirements. And he had to be a witness to the resurrection of the, of the Lord Jesus. He had to have seen the risen Christ. You know why that was important? Because when the apostles stood up in Jerusalem to give testimony to the truthfulness of the claims of Christ and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, they always said, this is what God has done, and we are witnesses of these things. In order to be an apostle, you had to be a witness of the risen Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up again, a fact to which we are all witnesses, speaking of the apostles. 
We witness the risen Christ. Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the Prince of Life, the One whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Acts chapter 5. God has exalted Him to His right hand as Prince and Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses of these things. That's what the Apostle said. We witness these things. So before Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, I'm appointing you to be an apostle to the Gentiles, he says, you are going to bear witness of what you have seen. And what he had just seen was the risen Lord. And now Paul is going to, from that moment forward, get up and say, I've seen the Lord. And I am a witness of the fact that He is risen from the dead. For this reason I have appointed you, to be a witness, a minister, and a witness of the things that you have seen and the things in which I will appear to you. That's Jesus' promise to Paul that we're going to have visits in the future. Right? You're going to also bear witness to the things in which I'm going to appear to you. There were three other times in the book of Acts that we know Jesus appeared to Paul. Acts 18, Acts 22, and Acts 23 all have visions in which Paul saw the risen Jesus. Galatians chapter 1 says that Paul got his gospel by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul saw a vision of heaven. And Jesus is saying, this is not the last time you and I are going to talk. I have chosen you and I have appointed you and I'm going to personally train you for ministry. And the Lord did appear to him and did train him. And so he says to Paul, you're going to be a witness of these things, not only what you've seen, but the things that I'm going to demonstrate to you. We're going to meet again, we're going to talk again, and you're going to bear testimony to men of this. That's what Paul was commissioned to. That's what Paul was appointed to. The lowest of the low positions of all of the positions in the church, he was called to service. Called to service. Second thing he was called to was suffering. Verse 17. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now if you heard that and you were Paul, what question would you want to ask? You mean I'm going to need to be rescued? Right? That's what I would think. I'm going to rescue you from the Jewish people and the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to need to be rescued? This is going to involve danger? Do you think the Apostle Paul knew that going into this? Certainly he knew it going into this. <laughs> Friends, this is why he is an apostle by the will of God and not an apostle by the will of, of, of Paul. Because God was saying to Paul, I'm going to send you to people, they're going to be hostile, and you're going to suffer. And it was to Ananias that Jesus said, He has been chosen by me and I have appointed him to bear my name before Gentiles and before kings and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew from the outset that he was going to suffer because Jesus was calling him not only to service but also to suffering. And Paul knew that bearing the gospel before anybody, if he were to fulfill his commission, that he would be in danger and that the Lord would rescue him. Now, did the Lord rescue him? Did the Lord rescue him from all suffering? He didn't, did he? No, he allowed the Apostle Paul to be stoned. But did Paul live through that? He lived through that. The Lord did deliver his life. The Lord didn't rescue him from shipwrecks. The Lord didn't rescue him from nights in prison. The Lord didn't rescue him from beatings. The Lord didn't rescue him from dangers and from cold and from the elements and from hunger and all of the things that he lists in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord didn't, re didn't preserve him from those, but the Lord preserved him through those things so that no Gentile and no Jew could control the timing of Paul's death. 
The Lord knew you're going to suffer. The Lord allowed him to suffer. But the Lord says, I'm going to rescue you through that. And the same thing is true with us, friends. The Lord rescued the Apostle Paul all the way up into the moment that the Lord wanted to take Paul home. And then he said, okay, no more rescue attempts. No more rescues. Time to come home. And Paul lost his head. And he was beheaded. And all the way up into that, plot after plot after plot to take his life, the Lord delivered him out of the hands of all these people. Everybody was always frustrated around Paul because they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. It's like he was being guarded, guarded by this invisible force. And the Lord would allow him to endure sufferings, but the Lord would never allow anybody to take his life apart from his grace and apart from his timing. And that's the promise. I'm going to rescue you from the very people to whom I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the Jews, and I am sending you. Apostoleo is the word from which we get our word apostle or sent one. An apostle actually was the noun form of that verb, and an apostle was somebody who was sent by somebody else for a mission or for a ministry. And this is the first inkling that the Apostle Paul gets, that he is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I am sending you, I am sending you as an apostle, literally, to the Gentiles. You're going to be my apostle, my ambassador, my spokesman and representative to the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them, but don't worry, I'm going to rescue you from them. Sending you to the very people that I'm going to rescue you from. Now there's something that is... There's something in the language here that when we just read this over, we don't really catch it. But Agrippa would have caught it, and Paul was intending for Agrippa to catch what he had just said. Agrippa was familiar with all of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. And as the Apostle Paul is describing what Jesus has said to him, the Apostle Paul uses prophetic images and language right out of the Old Testament prophets. And not just any place in the Old Testament prophets. The Apostle Paul uses language that comes from the Old Testament prophets in the accounts of the Old Testament prophets being commissioned to ministry and to service. And Agrippa would have caught all of this. Listen to the similarities between what has happened to Paul as he's described it to Agrippa and what Agrippa would have known happened to Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. First, the Apostle Paul, just like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, were overwhelmed by the glory and the presence of God when they caught a vision of the throne room of heaven. He was totally undone by that, just like the Old Testament prophets. Furthermore, he was told, just like Ezekiel and Daniel, stand up on your feet. That's a prophetic commissioning. Stand up on your feet. You've seen the glory. Now get up because I have something for you to do. And just like the Old Testament prophets, the Apostle Paul was directly commissioned by God. Just like the Old Testament prophets who were sent to their own people, the Lord is sending Paul to his own people and to the Gentiles. And just like the Old Testament prophets who had to... To had to trust in the Lord to deliver them from their own people. So Paul was going to trust the Lord to rescue him. All of those similarities and parallels, Agrippa would have caught all of that. He would have understood all of that. Listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, The Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. See how Jeremiah? You know what Jeremiah says? The Lord said to Jeremiah, I'm sending you to your people. They're going to hate you. They're going to fight against you, but I'll deliver you. That's the exact same thing Jesus said to Paul. And listen, here's the implication. This is what Agrippa would have heard, and this is what Agrippa would have understood. Agrippa would have understood Paul to be saying, I am on par in authority and commission with the Old Testament prophets. So Agrippa, since you're an expert in all things Jewish, since you know the prophets and the Jewish culture and the Jewish scriptures, understand this. 
Just as Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel were commissioned to be messengers of God to their people, so the Lord has commissioned me in a prophetic status to be a messenger of himself to his people. And the implication is clear. Agrippa, if you're going to give heed to Isaiah, if you're going to give heed to Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, then in the same way you must give heed to the message that I'm delivering to you this day. Now you can understand why at the end of all of this, Agrippa says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Do you get it? You understand why Agrippa said that? Because Paul was saying, I have the authority and the message and the position that is equal and on par with an Old Testament prophet, Agrippa. And if you will listen to them, listen to me. This is what Jesus Christ has called me to do. And Agrippa would have got the message. Now what about you and I? Are you called to serve? Are you called to suffer? Let me deal with the suffering first, friends. Do you understand that suffering is in itself a gift? Do you understand that that's how Paul viewed suffering? He says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, To you it has been granted both to believe on Christ and to suffer for His namesake. That's a gift. Suffering is a gift. Paul viewed suffering as a gift. So have you and I been called to suffer? If the Lord asks us to suffer or to endure whatever it is for His namesake or for His glory, then yes, we've been called to suffer. And we ought to view it as a gift. But if we've been called to serve like Paul and to offer ourselves like Paul, or do you say to yourself, you know, I'm no apostle. I didn't write half the New Testament books. I didn't have a direct revelation from God. Jesus didn't appear to me. I didn't see the risen Christ. I didn't get this revelation and this type of a promise and this type of a commissioning. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a lowly whatever. Listen, friends. If you're a Christian, you've been given a gift and you've been called to serve. And that's all you need to know. So the question is not have I been called to serve, but where have I been called to serve? How have I been called to serve? How often am I called to serve? The question is not if. The question is what, where, when. And the response of us should be the same as the response of the Apostle Paul. To stand up on our feet and say, okay, Lord, where? What do you want from me? Maybe your view of service is wrong. Maybe you view service as something that is optional to you. Yeah, I can serve the Lord or I can not serve the Lord. I can use my gift to serve other people and to minister to other people. Or I can, it depends on circumstances. If I'm busy, if my job demands too much, if things aren't going well at home, if this is going, I'm busy with school or whatever it is, maybe you view service as optional. I don't think that that's even remotely biblical. Listen, friends, if you're a Christian and you've been given a spiritual gift and a calling to use that spiritual gift in serving other people in the body of Christ, and if you're not doing that, you're a disobedient Christian. Period. No exceptions. There are no exceptions to that. You don't view it as optional. You're not given a choice in this. Peter says, be a good steward of the grace of God that's been given to you and employ your gift in serving other people. If your gift is teaching, then, then teach as one who speaks the oracles of God. If your gift is service, then serve others in order that Jesus Christ might be glorified through Jesus Christ, uh, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what Peter says. You just simply employ the grace that is given to you in serving other people. Maybe you view your service as something that is burdened to you or burdensome. Is that how you view service? As a burden? You know how Paul viewed service? As God's gift? 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank God who considered me faithful and put me into service. I thank God. Now listen for just a second. 
and realize what it is that the Apostle Paul is thanking God for. I thank God that He has made me an apostle, that my service involves suffering, losing everything, giving up everything, enduring hostility, enduring the suffering, enduring the animosity from my countrymen. I thank God that He has called me to be an apostle and to deal with all the people problems and the church in Corinth and the error in Galatia and to do all of this all for His glory. I thank God for that. Would you thank God for all those things? The Apostle Paul viewed not only his suffering, but his service as a gift that God had given to him. Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me. It's a gift. If you view your service as burdensome, friends, do you realize that the calling to serve God is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to you? The opportunity to serve? That is a gift. And how backwards is our thinking? And how much our minds need realigned when we begin to think that our service offered to God is something we give to Him rather than something that He gives to us. And when we begin to think that we can offer to God service that is optional, maybe we will, maybe we won't. But God is sure fortunate to have me on His team. And if I ever determine to offer anything to Him, boy, He's going to be blessed and He's going to be happy and He's just doting over me, waiting for me to offer my life to Him. That's all backwards. Our suffering... And our service are gifts that the Lord gives to His people. So that when we offer service to the Lord, it's not really us offering anything to Him. He can do without us quite well. It is His gift to us that we have been called to turn from idols and to serve the living and the true God. What a gift that is, friends. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the fact that You have not only called us, but You've called us to service. And our minds need reminded and our hearts need convicted that when we do serve you, when we do offer ourselves to you in the service to the King, that as witnesses, as under rowers, as those who have been sent into this world with the message of the gospel, it is our joy and it is our privilege and it is your gift to us, not only that you have saved us, but that you have commissioned us to service and to suffer for your name's sake. We thank you for this reminder today from the Apostle Paul. Give us the grace, O God, to be obedient to your word and to you, and to glorify you through what we offer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.